Welcome to our season one wrap-up episode of the Book Club Grow podcast. We have had some amazing authors on our show this season, and we are so thankful to all of you, our lovely and loyal listeners, for coming along for the ride. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, one of your co-hosts, and I am currently staggering under the weight of all the books I want to read this summer. And I'm Eliza Rosenberry, your other co-host. Tavia, I I don't know what you could possibly be talking about staggering under the weight of all this, but I'm just kidding. If, if this wasn't a podcast, I'd be able to show everybody. I have over here piles and piles of books that constitute ostensibly constitute my my summer reading list. It's very ambitious. Ostensibly being the key word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Today, we are taking you on a journey back in time to revisit some of our favorite episodes from this season of the Book Club Girl podcast. We will be highlighting some clips of your favorite authors, common themes that showed up in our conversations throughout the season, and of course, revisiting some of our white whales. And if you stick around, Tavia and I will be revealing our very own white whales at the end of this episode. I mean, this is the question, the burning question. Everyone needs to know the answer to. Everyone's been on the edge of their seats this whole season. (laughs) (laughs) So Eliza, do you have any thoughts? What are your reflections? Like, what's your takeaway? What do you you want to say about season one that seemed to last forever? I know. (laughs) This is a very long season. And it's been so amazing. I think the first thing I want to sort of say is I want to acknowledge our listeners because when we sort of first started this, I couldn't really fathom the idea that anybody would want to tune in and hear us talk about books. And yet people do week after week. And it's been so, so amazing. And everyone's reviews and comments, you know, in between episodes have made this such a rewarding and fun experience. What about you, Tavia? A hundred percent. Totally agree. You stole one of the things I wanted to say. (laughs) And sort of as a side note to that, you know, when we started the podcast, I was like, oh my God, I have to start a bookstagram to promote the podcast. And I just have to say mad, mad props to all the bookstagrammers out there who post every day, beautiful pictures. It is hard. It is not easy. I totally admire you. I am not a very diligent bookstagrammer. So I just want to like shout out to all of those wonderful people out there who do it day after day because you're amazing. So Eliza, let me ask you, what were some of your favorite authors or interviews that we did this season? Oh my God, such a tough question. How can I possibly answer that? I feel like every interview we had, I learned something or just had like such an amazing time or got a chance to read a book that otherwise maybe I wouldn't have gotten to right away. But some of my favorites, Beatrice Williams, for sure. Obviously, she's a huge listener favorite as well. So that made it a little fun to get to interview her. She was one of our very first guests and we got to be in studio. I think she was our first guest that we got to be in studio with in person. This feels like a million years ago, like another world, but we got to be in the recording studio sitting across from Beatrice asking her questions. And she was so warm and friendly and we were newbie podcasters and it was so wonderful. I also loved being in studio with Kate Elizabeth Russell, who wrote My Dark Vanessa. Oh my God, that was the last one we did in studio before everything shut down. (laughs) And I remember we were talking about coronavirus, like after the show with her. (laughs) Thinking back to that, I'm like, I can't believe we were like crowded in that room on March 11th or whenever. No masks on. I know, (laughs) it feels so silly. But that was an amazing conversation. And then 
three others I'll mention that were sort of standouts for me, I feel like. One was Neil Gaiman, of course, that was, was very special. I loved our more recent conversation with Alyssa Cole because I really, I read that book last summer and loved it so much. And the legend, Nikki Giovanni. Those were some of my favorites. What about you? What were your favorites? Oh my God. So Nikki Giovanni, right off the bat. I mean, she was on my wish list of authors from the second we launched the podcast. I have been just so admiring of her for years and the chance to talk to her in any setting at all would like blow my mind. And the fact that it was on a podcast was just so, so cool. So Wow, I feel like I touched history when I talked to her. You know, that was so cool. I agree with you about Neil Gaiman. Again, same thing. Like, what a coup to get him on the show. And Beatrice Williams, people who are regular listeners will know she's my absolute number one favorite author. So getting to talk to her about the book was, of course, a treat. And I had way more questions for her than we had time to ask. And then my sort of personal little like pet favorite is Stephen P. Kiernan. I have been reading his book since his first novel and I know him well. So it was very comfortable and I just so, so enjoyed having him as a guest. I thought he was fantastic. I loved that conversation. What a nice guy. And the book that we spoke with him about the Baker's Secret was so good. It was really good. Remember how excited he was about his pub day? Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And then the only other thing that I'll say, reflecting back on this journey, Tavia, is how amazing it's been to co-host this with you. You've been just the best co-host and getting to talk with you every two weeks about books and authors, such a joy. And I promise at the very top of my summer reading list is Clan of the Cape Bears, which you gave me for Christmas last year. (laughs) Oh my God. I might reread it with you. I'm so excited. That's amazing. Eliza, if you do only one thing for me in my life, that will make me so happy. (laughs) And I couldn't have said it better. I absolutely, you are my favorite book club ever, the Tavi and Eliza book club. It is fantastic. And yeah, these book conversations would not have been what they were without you as my trusty sidekick. So yeah, yeah, yes. so fun. All right. So our last toast of the season. Cheers. Cheers, Eliza. Season one, a whole season in the in the, in can. the can. It's been amazing. I will say that I'm holding a can of wine. I just got a shipment of <laughs> wine and cans. I'm ready for the summer. Wait, really? (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of you getting a shipment, like waving the box and like, yep, put them over here. The UPS guy was (laughs) like, I don't know what this is, but it's heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Usually it's books. So yeah, no, no books today. Just wine. Book club adjacent. A reminder to listeners that we love hearing from you. Please keep in touch with us during the break. We definitely want to still talk books with you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers this summer and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us there at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. We love to laugh here on the Book Club Girl podcast. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Let's revisit some fun times that we had with some of our favorite guests. Taking it way back here to Jocelyn Jackson, one of our very, very first interviews on the podcast. She was so relatable and she's such an all-around good time. We're going to play a clip here of Jocelyn explaining how the two characters in her novel, Never Have I Ever, Amy and Rue, are like two sides of a coin. That's actually one of the generating ideas for the book. I had had this idea for the Rue character for quite some time, for for years. I'd wanted to write about this blackmailer that I had in my head. And she's a difficult character to write about. Like, she can't be your protagonist, right? Because she's (laughs) genuinely awful. Um, 
And I finally figured out, like, the way to write about Rue is to break her into two different people. So mm. Amy and Rue are actually, they came out of the idea for the same character. And wow. That is so cool. The, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the idea was to, like, have them be, like, if they were to take Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, which I, you know, they would get the same result, and the the sorting hat would put them both right into Slytherin, like immediately. <laughs> and I don't I don't say that pejoratively. I'm Slytherin. I think there's a lot of quality Slytherins out there. <laughs> um, so so they they really were they came out of the same idea, and the idea was that like they had different moral codes and made different choices, and that's what differentiates them from each other. One is consuming and one is connective like Amy's trying to forge relationships and create a sustainable life and Rue is like Pac-Man you know she she just (laughs) she eats and destroys you know she's one of those people that I'm sure we've all come across in our life who are not terribly connective and so individualistic and so interested in self that they other people sort of are accessories that they can use to get what they need. And it really is about their histories and their choices, not about who they are in your basic born personality. Oh my God, I totally remember that conversation. That was so much fun. So this next clip is of author Joe Hill. He wrote Full Throttle, a collection of short stories. And he was such an entertaining (laughs) guest for someone who (laughs) writes such terrifying stuff. Oh my God. So let's travel back in time uh, and listen in. The son in Throttle, you know, he's in a young guy in a motorcycle gang. It's That story is kind of a Sons of Anarchy riff, you know, as well as a Richard Matheson riff. And uh, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast. Can I say this? That kid is such a little shit. You oh, know, say he's, it. He is. He's, you know, he's such a vile person. And then you have a father who is himself more so morally <laughs> compromised that he can't quite figure out how to put the brakes on his own kid. Mm-hmm. But maybe the dad is redeemable. I'm not sure that the kid is. So there's that. I think like a lot of writers, I write about how your experience of family as a young person shapes who you are as a grown up. Um, I think that's a really common theme in literature, whether it's, you know, how mothers shape their daughters or fathers shape their sons. Maybe I have an outsized interest in that subject because my dad is this sort of larger than life figure. You know, I'm always kind of interested in, uh, I listen to a lot of Julian and Sean Lennon and I wonder, you know, what must it be like to try to carve out your own space with this sort of, you know, um, the rock and roll's first martyr as your father, you know, how strange that must be. What must have, I wonder like, you know, um, we're recording this just after the first presidential debate. And I wonder a lot, how did Donald Trump wind up like he is exactly? What happened in the family to make the person you see on stage? I always think that's a really interesting subject for fiction. I loved having Joe Hill on the podcast. That was such a treat and really fun to listen back a little bit. Oh my God, he's the best. The best. Someone else who's the best is Beverly Jenkins. We had Ms. Bev on the show to discuss her book, On the Corner of Hope and Maine. And towards the end of our conversation, I don't know if you guys remember this, Tavia asked Beverly about a romantic scene in her novel. And we learned about her love for kites. And we always love how authors incorporate their real life experiences or things that are special to them into their books. So we have a clip from that. Switching gears a little bit, in one of the most romantic scenes in the book, 
Bernadine flies kites with Mal. And this was such a sweet, detailed moment that I have to ask you, do you fly kites? Yes. <laughs> My late husband and I flew kites. We flew kites. You know, we always had kites in the trunk. We would fly kites. I taught my kids how to fly kites. Um, we go to the beach. We go to the beach in the wintertime to fly kites. Oh, um, that sounds so nice. <laughs> that is. sounds so nice. You know, I, my birthday is um, February 15th, which is, you know, right there next to Valentine's Day. So he would call it Happy Happy Everything Weekend. So we would dump the kids, you know, first the daughter and then both of them when we adopted John and go to the western side of the state over by Lake Michigan, which is on the other side of the lake is Chicago. Um, he used to read meters up there when he was in high school, worked for the big gas company. So he knew all the back roads and, you know, telling me stories about running from bulls and all kinds of stuff like that <laughs> on all these farms and stuff. So we would go up and more than likely we'd have a kite with us. Um, it's kind of hard to fly them in the wintertime when you try not to slip on the ice and fall in the lake. But um, in the fall, we rarely went up in the summer, too many people. We would go when there was nobody there. Right, and yeah. kites were our thing. Um, I haven't flown a kite since he's, since he's been gone. I need to get my kites out again. Miss Bev, oh, it's so good I to know. hear her voice again. She's she was best. such a great guest. Things don't always stay this light at book club, though. We do wade into deeper waters with some of our guests. And specifically, we explored issues around race this season on the Book Club Girl podcast. It just seemed that, you know, this theme kept coming up in the books we were reading. So let's listen in on a clip of our conversation that we had with Walter Thompson Hernandez quite recently about um, his book, The Compton Cowboys. There were a lot of moments where information was shared about death, about violence, about sexual assault. And I think for me, before I'm a writer and before I'm, I'm a reporter or journalist, like I'm a human being, right? And I think because of that, like I really had to approach these situations with care. And I'm especially thinking about Kiera, Kiera Wade, who shared very intimate moments about sexual assault and sexual violence. And I think for me, I identify as a man and there's no way I can identify with what she experienced because I'm not a woman. But I think for me, it was really important to be honest and to really like handle that information with, with a lot of care and a lot of sort of tenderness. And I think there were moments when we had to stop the interview, you know, it was a really sort of powerful moment. And I kept on assuring Kira that, you know, we didn't have to talk about that if she didn't want to. And she thought it was really important to share that, you know, if, if not for her own sort of like therapeutic evolution, but for others as well. And so I think there are so many accounts of death and violence and, and situations like that. It really sort of forced me to think about how do we portray this in a way that still respects their story and still honors who they are, but it's also radically honest. And I think we all want whatever we create to be honest. And I think at the end of the day, the Cowboys reading about their own accounts was something that was, I was kind of scared of i think that there's always like a tense moment when when you're writing about someone and, and how they will receive that how they will interpret that and, and so the most gratifying thing for me about this book was that i think i got their story right and they shared that with me and that's the thing that i'm most proud about i loved having walter on the podcast it was so interesting to hear about his approach to writing about these topics particularly as he's a reporter he's a journalist at the new york times 
our authors also explore these issues in fiction when no one is watching was such a thrilling read. And as listeners will remember, issues of racism, injustice, and gentrification were front and center in that novel. And author Alyssa Cole painted that picture so well. So here's a clip from our conversation with Alyssa. Again, it was based on, you know, real situations that have happened and that are pretty foundational because this book is also about generational wealth whether that is the homes that people own or this garden, which is like a kind of wealth of joy, even if they're not using it to build another building on and make money from it. It's this community center in a way or a heart of their neighborhood. When you look at the many ways in which gentrification happens, there are, of course, really big blatant things. One thing that happened all across the country and is still going on in many communities is In a lot of Black communities, the banks and other governmental organizations didn't particularly care about taking care of leases, deeds, and other documents that really prove ownership and often didn't do it because, you know, they didn't particularly want people to have claims of ownership. But for the garden scene, it kind of represents the literal stripping of generational wealth from Black communities, but it is also just based on real things that happen where People can own homes or land for years, and then other people can say, oh, actually, we have the actual documentation here. It looks legit. It's gone through some bureaucratic process, or at least looks like it has. So we actually have the claim to this. And it's pretty hard to fight that, because if someone is just flat out lying and trying to prove you wrong, you are already starting off at a deficit. Yeah, I remember Alyssa deftly weaving these issues into a thriller, which is an unexpected genre to have sort of heavier issues. Another novel that dealt with these issues is Catherine House, and Inez is the main character there. And in that book, she has an extremely diverse group of friends, uh, more diverse, I think, than is typical for fiction. And author Elizabeth Thomas, in this clip that we're going to play right now, explains why she chose to do that in the novel. One of the things that I love when people pick up on is that I think that it is a little surreal. I don't think that it is necessarily realistic for a group of friends to be this diverse, especially, I mean, in my college experience, it tended to be, you know, different races would kind of like sit in different tables in the cafeteria and that type of thing. But when I was creating this book, I was like, so much of Catherine House is idealized. So much of it is this kind of utopia. And that was one of the things that I was like, this is one of the things that I want to make it feel like a utopia. Um, So I was really careful in that I wanted her group of friends to feel almost surreally, realistically integrated. And I also thought that was interesting because, as I said, I was doing all this research about cults. And I think that I think of cults as really conservative in their thinking. But I hadn't realized that so many cults were really kind of trying to create a a racial utopia in a way like even Jonestown like he his whole thing was that you know he was kind of we're we're creating like a rainbow coalition type of thing and I hadn't known that history before I was doing research about it so I thought it would be kind of interesting to play with that and create this kind of society that on one hand it's wonderful that it's so racially integrated and then also it is part of kind of this false utopian society that is not actually realistic in any way. I loved having Elizabeth Thomas on the podcast. I mean, Catherine has such a great book. 
And of course, we couldn't let this clip show go by without revisiting our conversation with legendary poet Nikki Giovanni, who is such a hoot and an amazing person to talk to, and also just such an incredibly thoughtful poet and thinker. So this clip that we're going to share right now, Nikki was making some comparisons between aliens and being Black in America, reflecting on her book of poetry, Make Me Rain. Another one of the sort of recurring motifs or ideas in Make Me Rain is about outer space. You have a poem called Life on Mars, where you say you'll run away and live on space. And um, you have a poem called You Talk About Rape, where you say, if anyone should go into space, it's me. So can I ask, what is the promise of space? You know, how do you think about space? What does it mean for you? I think Earth is uh, just hasn't worked that well. And um, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm really glad that uh, you know God doesn't call me and say, you know, Nick, what do you what do you think? Uh, should I continue this third planet of the yellow sun? Because I'd have to, you know, you have to be honest if God calls you. You have to be honest and say, well, thanks for calling God, but I I have to admit, you know, I, I, I get rid of it. it. It's time to find another time to find another planet. And, um, and, so, and and we know that there is water on Mars, and we've we've studied enough to know that. And so my thought from a long time ago, Mars used to be the red planet. And my thought from a long time ago, though we're not we on Earth are not dealing with it right now, is that Mars is is it was in a position that we're in. There's going to be a nuclear war because once one of the bombs goes, they're all going to go. And once that happens, it 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 blew up Mars, and now Mars has had the time to to get better, whereas we're on the verge of blowing ourselves up. So I think Mm. it'd be cool. You know, Mars, we know, as I said, we know we have water on Mars. We know we can grow uh, at least, um, uh, not tomatoes, we can grow tomatoes, but uh, lettuces on Mars. Mm. And there are a lot of other things too. But if you're going to do something in an alien situation, in all fairness, ladies, you have to send black women because we can we are we are miracle workers. We we can do anything, <laughs> and, and so I think it's important. And people laugh at me and they say, "Well, you know, it's it's aliens. If you go to Mars, it's aliens." And I said, "Well, that can't possibly bother me because I'm a Black American. I, I'm I'm in an alien country, and mm-hmm. right now, 45 is an alien president. So right, yeah, yeah. aliens don't bother me. And there are some aliens I would actually prefer." because it would make more sense <laughs> to talk to some of the aliens from another planet than it is to talk to some of the aliens who are living in the White House. Oh my God, Eliza. I could re-listen to that whole episode, honestly. I just so enjoyed talking to her. She's such a queen. I know. I might go listen to that episode after we wrap up here. <laughs> just just sit and listen to Nikki. Honestly, it's been such a nice treat to sort of cherry pick some of our favorite moments. And and I could have put so many more clips in here, but, you know, oh, gosh, it's so hard to choose. I really I feel lucky that we had such great authors on our show this season. I totally agree. We had such amazing authors this season. It was it was really fun listening back and remembering all these amazing conversations. Totally. And one of my favorite parts of the show was this sort of like funny throwaway question that we came up with at the beginning of the season. And it ended up being something that the authors really got into. 
So we like to ask our authors what their literary white whale is, which is a book that they've always meant to read and never got to read or were told to read and never read. As often it's a book from school. We went back and sort of reviewed all of our guests' white whales. Drumroll, the number one book that was mentioned as a white whale was No Surprise, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, which is so funny. <laughs> I feel like it's a bit of a leading question. <laughs> <laughs> I know we did sort of like put the idea of Moby Dick in their minds with the question, but I have to say I I related every time they said Moby Dick, I was like, yeah, I freaking hate that book. Oh my God. I tried to read it in high school and I I resented every minute of it and I never finished it. I was like, I'm I'm not finishing this book. Forget it. Read the cliff notes. (laughs) Didn't Herman Melville also write Bartleby the Scrivener and Bartleby says his favorite line is, I would prefer not to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's his whole, that's his whole shtick. <laughs> that's sort of how I feel about Moby Dick. Like I get it, but there's just so much else to read. So I hundred percent, hundred percent. Did anyone have a white whale where you were like, I have never heard of that book? Honestly, multiple times we'd be like, uh-huh. And I'd be like, Googling it over on the side. Like, what is this book? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I feel like there were definitely some trends among authors. Like you said, it was a lot of books that would be like recommended on English lit syllabi or sort of like, quote unquote, like the canon and the Russians. And the Russians, they did not like the Russians. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I remember when Neil Gaiman said his white whale. I so enjoyed what he said about the book, but I had never heard of it. It's The Anatomy of Melancholy by Robert Burton. And he had a great shtick and backstory to it. And he kind of like slightly dissed the book in a, like a very kind way. But I had to Google it on the side. I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun because then we could add, like I would add these books on my Goodreads shelf. You know, like some of those recommendations definitely like broadened my horizons a little bit, especially Neil's. Yeah. So I remember Jennifer Chiaverini, one of our first authors, said that her white whale was Will in the World. And it I mean, it just brought back this book to me. I was like, oh my God, I always wanted to read that book. Totally. That's the one about, that's like the biography of William Shakespeare. I would love to read that still. Yeah, for sure. So I have to say also, one of my favorite backstories was from Stephen Kiernan, who I've already said is one of my favorite guests, but he clearly had prepped for the question. And he had this amazing story. And then it turned out that that actually wasn't his white whale. And he like slipped in that it was remembrance of things past. I was laughing the whole time. It was such a good story. In fact, I like it so much. I'm going to make you all listen to it again. But here's the clip. And it's a show-off story, forgive me, but I was traveling in Kenya with a group of people and I brought along with me war and peace. And there was one, and we would be on these long drives to get from place to place and it would take hours and it's at the equator, it's the summer, it's really hot and everyone was miserable and the roads are so bad and bending this way and that, that people couldn't sleep. And I was just reading War and Peace. And one night at dinner, somebody said, how can you read that heavy philosophical thing when, you know, when all this is going on? And I said, this isn't heavy philosophy. This is a soap opera. And they said, like what? And I said, like, Alexi wants to propose to Natasha, but Peter might do it. So he's waiting to see if Peter does it first. And then we get to the next place that the next night. And they said, what happened? 
And so over the course of two weeks of traveling with these people in the Maasai Mara, each day I would read, and then that night after, by the fire after dinner, I would tell them the story that Tolstoy told. And it told me, it convinced me the power of white whales. So I, and I, it's such a fantastic book. And I came back and I started cranking through the white whales. And it was Anna Karenina. It was a whole bunch of Dickens. It was Gravity's Rainbow. It was the biography of Jackson Pollock. It was like these immense books. It was like, give me the pages, give me the pages. And then I hit the wall. And it's a book that Francine Prose had tried to make me read 30 years ago. And I tried and tried. It's now a book I've tried four times. It's two volumes long in the edition I have. And I can't even make it halfway through one volume. Even though I love nostalgia and I love all things French and I love French food, I cannot bear remembrance of things past. That is my white whale. I will never harpoon it. Oh. <laughs> so now is the time to reveal what our white whales are. So, Eliza, what is your white whale? Drum roll, please. Now it feels a little repetitive, but my white whale, you know, I'm going to be honest, it's Anna Karenina. I joined the ranks of many authors who have chosen the Russians. I honestly think that I've already mentioned this in a past episode, but I'd actually bought a copy of the book at the beginning of the pandemic because I was like trying to be positive, like all the reading and thinking I'm going to get done during the pandemic um, with the intention to read with all my free time, but I still haven't read it. So it has remained my white whale. But Tavia, I don't, I really don't think I know what yours is. So I'm on the edge of my seat here. What is it? Yeah, I've never given an inkling of a hint. I have definitely empathized with people who have picked Moby Dick for sure. But I'm like over it. I don't even care about that. That's definitely not my white whale. (laughs) The one that I sort of carry around like a burden is The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Wow, that's such an interesting one. So, so many people have told me to read that book. And in fact, someone even gifted it to me and it's on my shelf. I dust it. I don't read it. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think it's like continued to elude you? Uh, You know, I root for the underdog and that book is not an underdog. Fair enough. (laughs) 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 I've never read it either, but I'd really like to. And actually, the book that I almost chose is My White Whale which is sort of similar. It's A Gentleman in Moscow by Omar Towles. And same thing. People have recommended it to me time and time again. People we work with who are like great readers and know my taste told me I would love it. And I actually finally picked it up a few weeks ago. So I'm like making my way through it. So it's no longer my white whale. So I had to sort of return to the Russians. (laughs) Well, I love this sort of real-time shifting of the white whale. It's fascinating. (laughs) We want to give a huge shout out to all of our listeners this season, whether you were here with us since our very first episode, or if you've just started listening, welcome. And thank you so, so much for making our first season such a huge success for us. Go listeners, go listeners. (laughs) While we don't want to wish away summer already, I am totally in summer mood and I'm not going to push it. We would be remiss if we did not plug season two of the book club girl podcast we are so excited we already have some really amazing authors lined up to interview and to discuss we are going to tell you who some of them are so you can add their books to your reading list and submit questions for the book club girl podcast because we want to ask your questions more than our questions on this podcast so grab a pencil does anybody use a pencil anymore grab your phone 
Type it in your notes. However you wish to take notes on what I'm about to say, prepare yourself. So Wiley Cash is an author who has published a few books, and we are going to discuss his debut novel, A Land More Kind Than Home. Also, Susan Elizabeth Phillips, some of you may have read her. She's had a lot of books published. She's a New York Times bestselling author. We're going to talk about her newest, When Stars Collide. This next guest, I am like, I feel like this is a major coup. We're going to interview Lucy Foley, who wrote The Guest List. Do you believe it? Amazing. That was, if I remember correctly, a Reese Witherspoon. A Reese Witherspoon book club pick. And now a book club girl show. (laughs) Spectacular. (laughs) And then the last book that you definitely want to add to your reading list this summer is The Book of M by Pung Shepard. I have heard such amazing things about The Book of M. I have my copy at the ready. I'm really, really excited to dive into it this summer. I can't wait to read it. I know one of my work friends is like obsessed with this book and I definitely trust his taste. So I am going to enjoy this one. Awesome. We all know that summer is one of the best times for reading and we want to contribute to your book stash. So we're having a giveaway. All you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with a friend and send a screenshot of both of those things to the girls at bookclubgirl.com. You can leave your review and submit your screenshots to us by July 10th for a chance to win a copy of, ready? When Ghosts Come Home by Wiley Cash, When Stars Collide by Susan Elizabeth Phillips, and The Bride of Mara Kaur by Gregory Maguire. Good luck, everybody. Here we go. Summer reading. So just so you know, listeners, that's a lot of information. So in case you can't remember it all, it's going to be on the website, bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. So you can go there and remind yourself how to enter. And just a cut tip, The Bride of Maricor by Gregory Maguire is a new book in the Wicked Years series. So he is revisiting it after over 20 years. So really, really exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Honestly, another of our favorite podcast guests from this past season, Gregory Maguire. Totally. Incredible. I don't know why I didn't mention him. I, that was such a feel-good interview. I, a I was like glowing at the end. Well, it was so fun. I mean, we all love Wicked so much. So it was so fun. So this is The Bride of Mark Core is going to be such a fun read. Yeah, I can't wait. So please stay in touch with us over the summer and let us know what you're reading or just send us a picture of, you know, the beach you're on. We're both on Instagram. You can find me at Tavia Reads and Eliza is at Eliza is Reading. And of course, follow the mothership at Book Club Girl for everything that we have going on in the Book Club Girl universe because it ain't just this podcast. Before we go, a big thank you, as always, to our producer, Caroline Quash, who produced today's episode, our audio engineer today, Rosilia Ryan, and our audio editor, Samantha Doyle, both of Hanger Studios. Until next season, I'm Tavia. And I'm Eliza. Happy reading and have a super duper summer. Summer.